But throughout this series, we've been talking about um, our incarnational philosophy, which means when Jesus was here, how did he live? Okay, because we're supposed to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What matters to Jesus should matter to us, the way he lived, we should live. So when he was here, how did he live? What example did he set for us to follow? And as we read scripture, in the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, his, his, his words were filled with hope. His words were filled with compassion for those in need. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, reading from the book of Isaiah, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has set me free to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I'm not trying to make this passage out to be more than it is, than it's already there. But the reality is that you are taking the needy and the poor and the oppressed and they are being pulled out and they're being singled out in this text. The poor, the needy, the oppressed. The passion that God the Father has for those people. The the passion that Jesus Christ has for those people. Now, I want to take a moment and I want to define what we mean by poor. I think I did this a little bit last week, but this is important. And the reason it's important is because people shut down sometimes when you talk about this. And not because they're heartless, but because maybe culture has come in and they feel like, well, I don't want to help those people. I don't want to help these people. Let me define for you. Um, if you will, what the Bible, how the Bible describes someone who is poor. And this is a kind of a definition I've had over the years and reading so much scripture and, and on the subject. One who is wrongfully impoverished or dispossessed. A person of low income status often caused by a calamity or some form of oppression. Okay, that's what the Bible would consider a poor person. Someone in the Bible who's poor is poor, not because of anything they have specifically done, but because of a calamity of some kind, some circumstance they found themselves in, not of their own doing or by oppression by someone else. Okay, the government or something, there's a kind of there's oppression. What the Bible's not talking about here is a and, I'm, and it's not my words. So this is these are biblical words. Okay, a lazy sluggard. All right. Who who believes that feels entitled to your money or your possessions. All right. And there's a difference. There's a big difference between what Proverbs of the Bible calls a lazy sluggard. All right. Who and Proverbs puts it this way. It says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty comes on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. So a person who's like just sitting around and, and expecting someone else to give them a living or just because they're in that situation, thinks that they're entitled to what you have. That's not the person I'm describing. So I want you to put that out of your mind and look at the biblical definition of a poor person. And that's what we'll be talking about this morning. And poor people, you have them, you have them in your church, you have them in your community, you have them in your nation, you have them around the world. Okay, you just need to you need to have discernment and and to kind of differentiate between a sluggard and a person who is poor. All right, so we we've laid that out. 
There is absolutely no question that the gospel that Jesus Christ preached, the gospel that the the disciples preached, is for everyone. It's for everyone. But the poor and oppressed, again, were singled out here. And Jesus is really concerned that that those who are in need, those who are oppressed, those who are poor, realize that the gospel is for them. That it's specifically for them. It's important to him. And his words, okay, uh, are kind of lived out in his public ministry. So he kind of lays us out and he lays out this whole idea of the, I'm here for the poor and the oppressed. And, and obviously people who are spiritually oppressed and poor as well. All right. But he's specifically talking much about those who are in need here. Throughout the New Testament, we find Jesus spending much of his time with people who are oppressed People that other, others will not associate with. They don't want to be around these folks. They're, they're quote, undesirable. All right? Prostitutes and, and the poor and lepers and people. Jesus had a special place in his heart for those folks. Other people would just send them away, not want to be around them, not want to socially interact with them. And Jesus, now Jesus interacted with everyone. But he had a special place in his heart for people who were going through difficult times. He healed the sick, right? He healed the blind. He fed the hungry. And he warns us, okay? He warns us in the scriptures to do the same. In one of the most challenging passages in the entire Bible, those who don't feed the hungry or clothe the naked, all right, or, or, or try to care for the sick or care for those who are imprisoned, face his ultimate judgment. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, he says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, very quickly, just an explanation here. You see, oh, he's in prison. It came to visit him. What big deal? Uh, it is a big deal because in our culture, um, if you go to prison, you get three meals a day. People, you know, they, 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 you get to go on exercise. You get a lot of things. In other parts, of, in the first century, in other parts of the world, even today, if no one comes and visits you in prison, you don't eat. Okay, so if no one comes to visit you for a week in prison, you go hungry for a week. People die in prison because they die of starvation and thirst because no one gave them anything to drink and no one gave them anything to eat. And many of the people were put in prison he's talking about were in prison wrongfully. Okay, so that's what he's talking about here, just from a from a larger, larger standpoint. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed 
into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Why is this so important? Okay, why is this so important? Because as Psalm 146 points out, it is central to God's nature. It is central to God's character to take care of people who are oppressed, people who are unjustly treated, people who are poor, not from their own circumstances. It is part of God's nature, part of God's character to care for those people. Psalm 146 basically says this, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. According to Scripture, according to Scripture, defending the poor and the weak and the fatherless is an expression of God's essence an expression of God's character, an expression of basically who God is. And if that's the case, then shouldn't that be a part of our character as well? Let's go back to it. What, did Jesus, what, what does the Bible tell us? That our goal, every single one of you here, your goal in life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What does Jesus Christ care about? These aren't a couple of scriptures here. This is one of the most dominant themes in all of scripture. All right, you got, the, you got the, the Messiah and the coming of the Messiah from Genesis to Revelation. But right behind that, and probably with more scripture references, is this whole idea of taking care of the fatherless, taking care of the widow, taking care of the oppressed, taking care of those in need. It, God cares about this. God doesn't say it so many times because, yeah, just, you know, something to talk about. God cares ab- about this. Proverbs 1431 puts it this way. Listen to what it says. He who opposes, who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. He who oppresses the poor takes advantage of the poor, doesn't help those in need, shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God, honors God. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. That's not just New Testament. That is Old Testament. If you, if you don't help the needy, then you are dishonoring God. You show contempt for your maker. When you take care of those in need, it is honoring to God. But again, 
Only as we study the life of Jesus Christ can we truly, truly understand what God's identification with the poor and the needy and the oppressed and the fatherless really is. Only as we study, we truly look at the life because Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. God comes down. He lives on earth. He lives his life. I said in the very beginning, incarnational philosophy or theology, when Jesus was here, how did he live? So as we study the life of Jesus, we can truly understand how important it is for us to follow after Christ in this area. Speaking of Jesus... Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. King of the universe, ruler of the universe, creator of all things. Though he was rich, he became poor for your sake. We are all spiritually, we were all spiritually bankrupt at one point, okay? Spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus Christ, though he had everything, chose to come here, sacrifice himself, taking on the very nature of a servant for us, those who were spiritually bankrupt. Not just physically, not just financially bankrupt, we were spiritually bankrupt. And it says, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. I want you to think about this. Jesus was born in an insignificant province in the Roman Empire wasn't born in a, in, a, in, a, in a castle, wasn't born in a palace, wasn't born to a king or queen, and, you know, wasn't all that kind of thing. He was born in an insignificant province in the, in the Roman Empire. Jewish society, okay, basically Jewish society looked at his first visitors, the shepherds, as no greater or no, nothing better than a bunch of thieves, this wasn't like, oh, look, the shepherds came to visit. That's amazing. Ah, the people who came, shepherds, were considered no, no better than thieves. Okay, common thieves. Jesus' parents were so poor that they had to bring two pigeons instead of a lamb to the temple for the sacrifice, for the, for the sacrifice of cleansing in the temple. They didn't have the resources to buy a lamb, so they had to make up for that by buying two pigeons, because you're allowed to do that if you don't have the money to buy a lamb, you, you get yourself pigeons. And that's what, that's what Jesus' parents had to do. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, Jesus warns someone who says, you know, I want to follow you. I'll follow you anywhere. You know, oh, I want to follow you, Lord. This is what he says to him. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus sent out disciples and told them, basically, don't take anything with you. I want you to go out and preach the gospel. I want you to, I'm, going to, I'm sending you out. And he basically sends them out. And in Luke chapter 9 and verse 3, it says, Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. And Jesus makes it absolutely clear that his preaching to the poor is a sign that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 5, listen to this, says, When John heard in prison what, Jesus, what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, 
Or should we expect someone else? And this is Jesus' reply. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. So John is saying, how do I, John the Baptist is saying, well, how, are you the one? Are you the one? And, and basically Jesus says to him, all right, to give proof, go back and tell John, the deaf, the deaf can hear, the blind can see, you know, people are getting healed, dead or raised, and, and the good news is being preached to the poor. How important, think about this, how important is this? How important is this? So now I want to go back to a text that I just touched on, because it is really the clearest, clearest statement about Jesus' identification with the poor. It's Matthew 25. I'll read verses 35, 36, and verse 40. It says this, For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsting, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, Let's just take a moment, okay? I want you to really put on your thinking caps for a second. Let's just take a moment and try to grasp the implication of this passage. This, is, this isn't like figurative, okay? This is, this is literal. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Why? Because Jesus is not an outside observer of our pain, but a participant with us in our pain. Jesus is God. He feels it all. He see, when he sees it, he feels it. He experiences it. All right? So now, take this passage, if you will, and the implications of this passage. What does it mean to clothe and feed the maker of the universe? The king of the universe. Can we, I mean, honestly, can we even comprehend it? Like, don't let this slip by. Don't let this just go by. This is what he's talking about. Whatever you did for them, you literally are doing for me. Can we even comprehend it? I think all we can really do, okay, is try to see those in need through new eyes, through Jesus' eyes. And be sure that we're doing everything in our power to relieve their pain and suffering. If you see pain and suffering around you, what are, what am I doing? What are you doing? What are we doing to relieve their pain and suffering? Because one day, here's the reality, as this passage lays out, one day we will stand before God and we will have to give account for how we lived our lives. So before that day comes, we need to ask ourselves and take this in the context of what I just said in Matthew 25, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. How can we let Jesus go through the humiliation, pain, and suffering of being trafficked? Don't, don't, get, don't, don't try to skip this in your mind. Understand when someone is abused in that way, children or adults, when they're abused in that way, okay, Understand, Jesus literally feels all of it. He sees it, he feels it, he, he's there with them. How can we let the person, the, the God that we worship and we, we have so much reverence for, and we sing songs of praise to, we, we will bow down on our knees and give him our life. How can we let him feel the suffering and humiliation of pain of human trafficking? How can we let Jesus suffer the pain of living a life without hope? 
sitting in some children's home somewhere, sitting in some situation, kids in these, in these, in these cities, there are just millions of kids who are homeless in these cities, and they, how can we let that happen to our Lord? How, how, how can we, how can we let Jesus feel abandoned? I mean, we, we live in a culture where people, I'm not kidding, I mean, aging out, the kids are aging out of foster care, all these kinds, of, feel, they feel abandoned. They feel abandoned by their culture. They feel abandoned by their parents. They feel abandoned by society. They feel abandoned. How can we, how, how can we, when we know the truth of what is being said here, how can we let Jesus feel abandoned? We need to understand that he feels the pain of the lonely. He hears the cry of every single person. His mind, he, he, he's in the mind of every person who is sitting and wondering when this horror, when, when this horrific horror, horror nightmare will end, where they're being taken for whatever reason and being abused for whatever reason, and they're in there. Can you just imagine laying in your bed when, when everything is silent and thinking about your life and what you're going through and thinking, when will this horror for me end? He feels it. He feels all of it. He looks through the eyes of every child, every child who loses their parents to AIDS or different things that go on in this world. We need to, we truly, guys, we need to understand how much God cares about the least of these. We have to own this. We, we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Christ lives in us. We are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And we need to understand the depth, okay, of how much God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit care about those who are hurting, about the least of these. We need to care. We need to have that passion and that caring. And there's, there's different reasons why we don't with the kind of intensity I'm talking about. And here, one of the reasons I believe is this. I think it's in our nature, our sinful nature, okay, to focus on sins that we don't struggle with because not caring about this and not doing something about it is certainly a sin, okay? But I think it's in our nature to care about sins that, that we look at sins that we're not struggling with, that we're not doing, okay? That we're not part, we're not really participating in instead of areas where we fall short. Okay, it's easier for me to look out here and look at you and say, oh, you, you, and you, and you, but not me. I'm not, you know. And that's what we're talking about here. This whole idea of thinking, it's the cry, it's the cry of our, of, of all of humanity. At least I'm not doing that. Right? Look at someone else. At least, my gosh, at least I'm, uh, you know, I don't, at least I'm not doing that. And you think, what, you may be thinking, what, what exactly do you mean by, you know, looking at some other kinds of sins and focusing on other sins? Let me, let me give you an example. The biblical explanation for Sodom and Gomorrah, the biblical explanation for why Sodom was destroyed, okay, is a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. If you go and you ask 95% of Christians why God destroyed Sodom, the answer is going to be, in, across the board, because there was sexual deviance because they were sexually promiscuous because of this and all this sexual stuff. And, and, but the, here's the deal. That's, only, that's, that's true. That is definitely true. That's not the whole story. That's not the whole biblical explanation. 
Ezekiel says that the reason why God destroyed Sodom as well is because they did not take care. They refused to invest in the poor. They refused, okay, look the other way when it came to people who were hurting. Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50 says this. Now this is the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were, listen to this and take and look at our culture, okay? She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. To let that sink in a little bit. See, these verses don't say they oppressed the poor, though they may have, okay? It just says that they didn't, accuses them of not helping the poor. They probably oppressed them as well. That's not what it says. But they're accused in this passage, simply accused of not helping the poor. So why are so many Christians, if you think about it, why are we sometimes so oblivious to this truth? Or why is it, you know, why is it in our community we're blinded to this idea? Could it be that, could it, could it be that we don't want to face like, I'm, I'm talking to myself, too. This is not beaten up on the congregation, okay? Could it be that we are, don't want to face our own sins? Things that are maybe that we're struggling with? Areas that we don't want to give up? Things that where maybe a little bit of greed's involved there? Could it be that it's easier to look, if you will, in judgment at one area of sin in society while ignoring another? Could, could, could that be the case? Like I said, it's the cry of, of the cultures across the world. At least I'm not, at least I'm not doing that. At least I'm, at least I'm not involved in this or the other thing. Here's the thing. Luke chapter six. Well, before I get into Luke chapter six, um, here, here's part of the problem with, with, with people in general. They say, oh, look at, look at they're doing, look what they're doing over here. That's the one thing. The other thing is a sin of omission. You know, if I see someone getting mugged, or I see someone standing with a gun over in the corner in a dark shadow, and see someone coming walking down the thing, I, and a guy has a gun, I, I, I can think to myself, well, you know, I don't know, maybe he's going hunting. You know, you just walk away. I don't, maybe after, you know, I have no idea. Not, not my business, right? Not my problem. There's a woman walking down the street, and this guy's going to jump out. But how do I know he's going to jump out? If I turn away and walk away and go, la, 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 as fast as I can before I hear anybody scream, then I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't mug the person. I didn't carry the gun. Let me read you James chapter, James chapter 4, verse 17. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, you're sinning. Well, I didn't do anything. I didn't, that's exactly right. You didn't do anything. God's not going to look and say, well, you know, you didn't do anything. You didn't actually hurt. You didn't actually go and oppress the poor. That's not why Sodom got destroyed. It says they didn't help the poor and the needy. They ignored them. They were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They could care less. Even if they didn't oppress the poor, they basically knew what was good and the good they ought to do, and they didn't do it, and the Bible calls that a sin. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 41, it says this, why do we look at the speck of sawdust in our brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in our own eye? Right? It is so easy for me to look over this person over here and say, well, I can't believe they're behaving in that way. It's, it's more productive for me to look into my own heart and say, why am I not behaving in this way? Why am I not doing this? Well, I got, and I got other things to do with my money. Oh, I don't want help, you know. I give, I give some. 
I know there's people suffering around the world. I know that Jesus said, whatever you did, the least things you did for me. But hey, that's, that's not my problem. That's not my problem. Didn't Paul write in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, now, if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. You know, people will sometimes ask me, why, you know, why do we bother doing business tree stuff? And why do we bother with this? And why do we bother with that? And let me try to explain to you why we bother with things like that. Because failure to me in those areas is not an option. It's just not an option. Why is it not an option? Because there are people around the world that are suffering in such profound ways. You know, I, 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 I used to tell this story a lot. I don't tell it much anymore, but I used to tell the story a lot. And, and I'm, I'm going to, this happens a million times over, but you get a little six-year-old girl who lives in a city. The, city the, the, the world is filled now with cities with millions of children running around. They're not, in, they're not in any kind of orphanage or children's home. They're just running the streets. They're killed at night because they steal food during the day. So the vendors will pay people to go out and kill the kids at night. And so they hide in different places. But you have a six-year-old, for example. And that six-year-old is, uh, has lost her mother a couple years before. And now she has lost her father. And you say, well, we're a relative going to come get her. No, they're not going to come get her because they don't have another, they don't want to feed another mouth. And the people who may come to get her aren't going to take her and take her in as their own and treat her like their own little daughter. We like to think the world is filled with such good people. You know, everybody's good at heart. Like, can, I, can I just explain to you that the Bible says that people are not good at heart? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's part of our problem. We think somehow these things actually don't really happen. But I'm telling you, they do really happen. That little girl, six or seven years old, five or six, picture your own grandchildren, if you will. Picture your own little six or seven-year-old daughter. And now she's abandoned. And it's getting dark. And now she has to find a box to hide in so the people who might find her, because she's going to be real quiet, guys. She's going to be real quiet. She's not going to go looking for help. You know why she's not going to go looking for help? Because she knows what she's going to find. And so she hides herself in a box or in some little... There are kids around the world who hide in graveyards and push, and they hide down in those catacomb places because it's the safest place for them. Because a lot of people are they're afraid to go into those places. The kid, That's where the kids hide. So she quietly hides in a box, praying that no one hears her. And that goes on a million times. Millions of children are in that situation with no one to help them. They're, they're helpless. They're completely defenseless. I think about that sometimes. I lay in bed and it just it makes me cry. And I cry myself to sleep. So before you ask, and if you're going to ask, ask with the right Tone, please. Before you ask me why we do certain things in the church that are trying to generate income to help to those in need, think about what Jesus said. Whatever you did for the least of me, these, you did for me. It's not that I don't have anything else to do but do some of these things and ask you to help do some of these things. It's because of what, what Jesus has said. If we have the resources, we can help more people. I know we can't change the whole world, but that's not an excuse for not helping that one individual six-year-old child who's hiding in a box. 
That's no excuse for why we won't help a kid who's aging out of foster care. That's not an excuse for why you won't do so. You can't help everybody. You can't help everybody. I'm not saying we have to help everybody. What I'm saying is we have to help those who are in need, who we, who we know we can help. That's why we do what we do. It's not because we're cool or we're hip. We're on the cutting edge of Christianity. I don't care at all about being on the cutting edge of anything. What I care about, to be really honest with you, is making millions of dollars over the next 10 years that we give away, that we don't just give away, that we invest in the lives of widows and and, and poor families and children for education and create jobs for them. That's why we want to do it. I could care less about speaking at a conference and telling all the cool things we're doing. I could care less about any of that. What I care about, I, I said about 10 years ago to myself, I hope I'm the most successful person you've never heard of. You know why? I skip all the other stuff and all I get to do is do what God's called me to do and achieve what God's called me to achieve. I feel like if I'm the most successful person you've never heard of, that means I'm making millions of dollars. We are generating so much resources that we can invest in the lives of those in need. And that's why we do what we do. This is why, if anybody asks you, friends or whatever, why does your church, I hear your church is the orchestra center, are you jobs thing, why, why do you do that kind of stuff? This is what you tell them. You tell them the story about kids who are being terribly abused, who are being killed, children who have no hope, and then you take that six-year-old hiding in a box and you say, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me, and whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. That's why, because you are giving this gift to God. You are honoring God by how you live your life. Here's the thing. This sermon is not about making you feel guilty or making me feel guilty. It's not about that. It's, it's about helping us to grow spiritually. It's, it's about moving us out of our comfort zone, if you will. We get into a comfort zone. And I don't mean to pick on us as Americans. All I'm saying is that we have it so good that we can get into a comfort zone. And if you read, you read the scriptures, God doesn't want us in a comfort zone. God wants us to look around us and to think of others more than we think of ourselves. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who in being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. That is the one we follow. The one that we follow died naked, hanging on a tree. we got to get this down here, guys. Don't even start with the, the, the health and wealth gospel. Our, my leader, the one I bow my knee to, the one I worship with all of my heart, died naked, hanging on a tree. Let me read you Romans 8.17 again. Now, if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. If we are his children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. You want to share in his suffering? You say, how do I share in his suffering? 
Whatever you did not do for the least of me, these you did not do for me. You don't think there's any suffering in the world? You don't think you can enter into his suffering? You enter into his suffering by entering into the lives of people who are suffering. And then Jesus says, whatever you did for them or not did not do for them, you did not do for me or you did do for me. See, here's the thing. I'm going to say it again. This is not, I don't want anyone here walking out of here feeling guilty. I just want you to think through getting out of your, your comfort zone. Responding out of guilt is works. Responding from a sincere heart, that's grace. And that's what God wants us to do. I, I, I love, I love, that's why I love being the pastor, one of the pastors here at Grace Chapel, because we can do this together. We can, do, we, can, we can walk this road together. We can grow in this area because this is profound. We can grow spiritually together. We can change our community and our world together. Let me give you a couple examples of encouragement because one of the worst things you can do when you preach a sermon like this is have people sitting there and just feeling like, I'm so overwhelmed. There's kids all over the world. He said millions of them. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'll tell you what we're doing. The last two weeks before this sermon, I preached and I talked a lot about Nigeria and the farm in Nigeria and the things we're doing with the widows and orphans there and education and Jeffrey and everything I talked about, everything I talked about the last two weeks has been financially covered by you. Everything. Everything. Yeah, clap. Yes. Everything. The pig farm, the chicken, doubling the size of the chicken co-op, a storage building that we can do like our commodities trading for, you know what I mean, in Nigeria. Um, Everything I talked about, even Jeffrey's business, I had someone who said, I will fund Jeffrey's business through my business and I will mentor him. So even the guy, the the, the young man who was making the shoe business, I told him to send over a business plan. They haven't done that yet, but they're doing it. They're working on it. But we, everything I talked about is covered. So it's not like you're all like, oh my gosh, I'm going to leave. No, it's covered. It's all covered. Not only is that covered, but I didn't even mention this, and we had enough money to do this. When I was down there, I was sitting with some of the staff people back-to-back in Nigeria, and they were talking about what's going on, things that we're excited about, things they're struggling with. One of the things they're struggling with is that the people in the village, two or or three of the parents have died from um, hepatitis. And so they were saying, we need, we really need to get shots for all the kids. There's 130 kids. It's $3 per kid per shot, and they do it three times, okay? So I was doing the math in my head. And we have enough money. I emailed them and said, go get them the shots now. Start the shots. 130 kids, so the entire village of kids will be covered with shots for hepatitis A and hepatitis B, all three shots. It's like $1,750. We had enough money. Well, I sent it over. I said, do it. Do it now, because we don't want our kids these are we are a global community we don't want our children none of these kids none of the kids in this church would die of those things if we knew about it right anything would happen here we'd be all over it we can't let nancy get this let's get all right so those kids are in the same boat but i'm telling you encouraging you that you have responded in pro in a profound way now i want to do immeasurably more i want god to do immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or imagine and i want to share another vision with you that, um, that the elders really want to drive forward over the next year or so. This is something we've talked about for years, but we're not really able to do. Now, we've done it in bits and pieces, helping this organization, helping this group, sending money here, doing this. But we had a vision to actually do something specific within our church to impact people's lives. So here, here's a, the, a vision I want to lay out to you this morning for the first time in our church. 
we are buying that house right behind the American Legion. There's a little house back there. I have been praying for that house for at least six or seven years. I wanted that house. Come to find out that it was sold in the sheriff's auction, the American Legion got it, and I was like, Ugh! I didn't even know it was up for auction, or I would have, you know, we would have at least come and we'd have jumped on it. And I said to them, I, I walked over and they were mowing, and I said, hey, if you ever want to sell this property, please talk to us first. Well, years go by, and they came to me like uh, eight, nine months ago and said, are you still interested? I said, yes, we are. We worked on a, a, a price on the house. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to partner with the American Legion. We will own the house, but the first year of the house, we're going to renovate the house. The first year of the house, we're going to put a homeless vet or a veteran's family in there who are homeless, and we're going to work with the American Legion. They will pick the person. They will oversee it, and we will help with a homeless veteran or someone uh, or a family, veteran's family, to get them a job, to get them stable, and then they can move on from that house. Once, will you do that for about a year or more, okay? Once that person's out, here's, here's the plan that we have. What we want to do is we want to use it for kids, aging out foster care kids. We'll start with girls. It's big enough, we probably put three girls in there. What we want to do is invest in those girls. These are all adults now, 18 and above, the people I'm talking about. Put the, put the girls in there and help them either get into college, either with Jobs Plus, our training program, find them a job, or if they're entrepreneurial, work with the Orca Center to help them uh, develop their business plan and then raise the money to help them start that business. That's one thing. The other group that I'd love to have us work with are women who are gone through trafficking. We're working with Safe Harbor, and Safe Harbor has a ministry where they take women through phase one, two, and three, and then phase four is where they kind of start to move back out into the society and just re-engage in culture, re-engage in the world. All right, now they've been safe, they've walked through the psychological implications, they've been taken care of, and our house will be a phase four house where the women would come in, maybe two or three women, where we could then, again, help them find jobs if they need to get educated, help them with that, or also, if they're entrepreneurial, help them start a business and walk them through the Orca Center. So here's the really cool thing. When, when the leadership, just the leadership found out of kind of the, the opportunity there, when I said, hey, here's an opportunity, um, it didn't take but more than hmm, an hour and a half before we had enough money to put a down payment on that house. Someone said to me, I will put the down payment, get it, I will put the down payment on the house. That was number one, which is huge. We got it for $89,000. It needs to be completely renovated, okay? So not only that, then someone else came and said, um, I will put up the majority of the resources to help renovate the house. Because again, it's gutted. We've got to renovate the house. So we have the down payment on the house. We have the, a lot of the money for the renovations. We're going to probably need more, but here's, here's what else we need. And then also Jacob Shaw, many of you know Jacob Shaw. Jacob Shaw is going to be heading up the project because I didn't want to get the house and say, I uh, hope we can do this. You know what I mean? I put someone who's an expert in charge of renovating the house. So we'll, we'll, you, can call, you can talk to me, you can talk to Pastor David, and Pastor David will work with Jacob Shaw um, and help move this forward. Here's what we need. We need volunteers to help renovate that house. Just high schoolers right now, junior high and high school, if you're here, you're the first line of defense. We're going to give you sledgehammers and all kinds of things you just love until you tear it up. 
Okay, high schoolers and junior highers, especially junior highers, love to tear things up. All right, so we'll, t- we'll let them tear it up. We'll throw in a dumpster and get, they'll be the first line defense. You can certainly keep helping, but we need you to get in there and just get it gutted, you know, really gut the whole thing. Um, so we need volunteers, just, you know, people like me who have no skills whatsoever um, to do that. We need materials for the renovation of the, of the house. I, we've got resources, not like we're begging, you know, oh, we can't do it if you don't give us money. But the more money we can save, the more money we can use for other areas of that ministry. So if, you, if you're a good person and getting on the phone and making phone calls to Lowe's or, you know, Home Depot and places like that, we'll be working in partnership with the American Legion. So between the church and the American Legion, that's a good phone call to make to say that we're working with homeless vets, kids aging out of foster care, and women who are being trafficked, okay? And make those calls and get some of those um, material resources that we need. And then we need skilled laborers here. We're going to need some skilled people who can finish off bathrooms because there is no bathroom, okay? Um, Again, it will be gutted, and we're going to start over. We need electricians. We need plumbers. We need skilled laborers to go in there. If we have to pay for it, We'll pay for it, but if we don't have to pay for it, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a horse trading kind of guy, right? You know, a lot of you know me, right? So I, if, I, if we don't have to pay for it, I don't want to pay for it. You know, let's, let, let's, give, let's give someone else the blessing of participating with us, right? Right? Yeah, that's, yeah. Because that, that, that's like a blessing for them. They get to participate and say, wow, we were a part of this. So let's, let's give everyone a chance to get a part of this and do all that work and give us a lot of money. Um, People who will help after when we get it renovated, we need people who are going to help run the ministry, who will mentor and disciple the women, who will get them plugged into the church. We want them plugged in here. We want basically 1,000, 1,200 people to come around them and just be and help them with finances, whatever they need to do. We need to do that for them. And we need people who can help do that. And we have a year or more to plan this all out. Or not just the renovations, but the VFW, the uh, American, don't ever call it the VFW when it's the American Legion. I found that out. Um, the, the, the American Legion will, um, will be responsible the first year. They're going to pay rent on the house back and, um, and put them in there. So it gives us a year to put our plan together, to get all this together and to build the ministry around what we, we want to do. And working, this is a kind of a, this is a secret to a thousand people. Okay. But this is, I'm serious. Um, working with places like Safe Harbor and other ministries, we want to expand this ministry over, over time in the future. And we have one house now on the corner, but there are there, if you know people in those houses, we're not doing kick them out or anything. But as they come up for sale, I want to play Monopoly. All right? I want to play Monopoly and grab them and grab them and grab them and grab them. So we own the whole side of the road. But don't tell anybody that because then they'll jack up the price. So uh, we, that's what we want to do, though. We want to do that so we can keep, we have this house. And then as we mature, as we grow in this area and we become stronger and we become wiser in how to do it, we get the next one, we get the next one, we get the next one. And we can have aging out foster care. We can have women who are going through, you know, who are being trafficked. We can have veterans, you know, homeless veterans in there, all of them with the idea of they move in, we help them, we strengthen them, we give them jobs and they move out and someone else moves in. Okay, so that's the plan. That's the vision. And that gives us, so it's not like, oh, look at the Lord once. And it's like, I got you all dressed up. And you're like walking out going, oh, man, I feel so beat up. What am I going to do? The world's going to heck in a handbasket, right? No, it is maybe. But we are doing specific things locally and globally. And you can get involved in all of those things specifically. Okay? So here's the thing. Taking care of those in need 
is important to God. And if it's important to God, it should be important to us. Proverbs 19.17 says this. Listen to these words. Listen to them carefully. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. What does that mean? It means you're literally, again, hear my words, you're literally giving that gift to God the Father. So this is not just a New Testament phenomenon. This is an Old Testament phenomenon. The God of the New Testament, right? You say, oh, Jesus, whatever. And he was good. And the Old Testament, boy, he's really wrathful. Mm-mm. This is, the God, this is God the Father. It says this, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. Whatever we do with that house, whatever we do in Nigeria, whatever we do, we are literally giving that gift to God. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you for this amazing time that we can spend together. God, thank you for leadership, the leadership of this church that has a vision to make a difference in this world that's not afraid to reach out and do things that are out of the box, that are creative and dynamic. And Lord, I pray that we as a body would now, we have this, we have this place that we can call our own, that we can renovate and that we can actually get people in there. We can minister to people on this level. I pray, dear God, that you would just impress upon our hearts that desire for those you've been calling. You've been calling some people in this church for years to be involved in something like this. And now is their opportunity. So I pray, dear God, that we would give We would give our financial resources to accomplish all that you have for us in all these areas. We pray that we would give of ourselves, we would sacrifice, that we would offer up our body as a living sacrifice, Lord God, holy and pleasing to you. That we would give everything that we have and everything that we are. Why? Because this matters to you. And if it matters to you, it should matter to us. We thank you, we praise you for everything that you are doing in this church. We give you, all of us, right now, lift up all the praise and all the glory to you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great, great week. Yay.